This is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that, the, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would give eyes to our faith this morning, that we might look upon the Lord Jesus and see him in all of his humility, see him taking upon himself our flesh, suffering in our place, that we might see him plumb the depths, how low he goes, but also that we might see the heights, that we might see his glory, and that we might be called in and called up to be part and to be partakers with him in this great gospel story. And may it transform us. May the gospel transform our hearts in how we deal with one another, how we interact with the world, and how we are a family together in Christ. Lord, I ask all these things in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. How important is it to know history? What impact ought the past have on your present? One of my favorite historians to read was also a military man, a politician, a gardener of some renown, a stonewall mason, and a painter. He was also knighted by the queen. Does does anybody know who it is? Yeah, yes, I heard the name. Winston Churchill, Sir Winston Churchill. One of my most memorable outings we had while we were in England was going to his house called Chartwell and seeing his library full of books, his desk where he did his work, his painting studio where he painted, uh, his stone walls. Churchill, whenever he was feeling depressed, would go out and build a wall. And there were a lot of walls on his property. Uh, all built by his own hand. Churchill once said, history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. That's a good quote, isn't it? That's, That's a famous quote. Perhaps more famous than that quote is this one. Those that fail to learn from history are what? Doomed to repeat it, right? Are doomed to repeat it. The past has ramifications for the present, whether you know your history or not. The past impacts a person's present, and this is true for everyone. For both the Christian and the non-Christian, bits of the past come together and help shape our experience of the present. That's true for all of us. But Christians have something else at work as well. Something else that shapes us. We not only have an eye to how the past impacts us, but we also have our faces turned toward the future as well. 
Faith, after all, is the assurance of things hoped for. Not what you have already, but assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. Faith has a future-oriented component to it. Our faith is both, really. Faith looks forward just as much as it looks backward. If you were looking for a passage in the Bible to teach you this, to confirm this is true, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better one than our passage today. In First, first Philippians, Philippians, it's just Philippians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, verses 1 through 11, shows how the past events of Christ's incarnation and crucifixion come together with future events, like Christ's return and exaltation to impact how we should live our lives now, right now in this present moment. Just like we teach our kids to cross the street. How do you teach your kids to cross the street? You tell them to look both ways, right? Look both ways. Faith looks both ways. Faith looks forward and backward. In, in London right now, I've noticed last time I was there, they actually ride on the street which way to look because all these Americans were coming over and looking the wrong way and getting hit by cars coming from the opposite direction they were expecting. Good thing to do, kids. Look both ways. When you're in another country, especially, look both ways. Faith looks both ways, forwards and backwards in history. And what faith sees determines how we walk, how we cross the street. We'll spend some time looking both ways this morning at the past and at the future. But let's start off first with some encouragement in the present. That's where Paul starts. What God is doing in this present moment for this church family should also be driving our actions. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In times of struggle, and I know there have been times of struggle for many here recently. In times of struggle, we can easily lose sight of how God is flooding the present with mercy after mercy after mercy. Just ask yourselves, in the midst of the world's disappointments, is there encouragement to be found in Christ? Yes, there is. In this present moment, yes, there is. He is a fountain of deep joy to whom we can fly in, in the moment of trouble. In the midst of hardships, is there consolation to be found in love? Yes, yes, there is. Both in God's incredible love for you that we sang about this morning, marvelous, matchless love. There's great consolation to be found in God's love for you, but also in our shared love for one another. In the midst of pandemic-level isolation, maybe you felt that over the past year, is there still fellowship? Fellowship to be found in the Spirit. Yes, yes, there is. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another that the world cannot fully understand or put a stop to. In the midst of a cancel culture characterized by coldness and unkindness and judgmentalism, is there affection still and compassion to be found here in the church? Yes, Yes, there is. The church ought to provide the world with a foretaste of the affectionate, compassionate, and welcoming community that we've always wanted, that everyone really wants deep down. All these good things, all these blessings are yours, church. They are yours in this present moment. So don't lose sight of them. In the midst of the trouble and the pain, don't lose sight of them. Don't be like Peter, walking on the water, 
and begin to give all your attention to the waves and the storms swirling around you. Instead, what are you to do? Focus on Jesus. Set your eyes on Christ. Focus on Jesus in the present and see his hands extended towards you with all the encouragements, consolations, and sweet fellowship that he died in order to give you. When your heart is focused on the present blessings of verse 1 that we see there in verse 1, then the response of verse 2 will come naturally. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, verse 1, here's the response. Verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Alberta Baptist Church, you have been given so very much. You've been given so much. Here's what you ought to do with it. Verse 2. Bring joy to others. Make my joy complete. Bring joy to the hearts of those who lead you by the way you live together in unity. Paul says, make my joy. Again, we're talking about joy all through the book of Philippians. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, Maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Christian unity is a precious thing. I hope you feel that. It's something worth fighting for. It is a precious thing, but it is also a multifaceted thing. There's many aspects to it. Paul says here that Christian unity involves a oneness of mind in the way that we understand things, put things together. It involves a oneness of love in the direction of our affections. It involves a oneness of spirit in a sense of kindred partnership that we have with one another. It involves a oneness of purpose in sharing the same mission. We're on a mission together. Know God, find community, live on mission. You bring joy to this pastor's heart when you express this kind of unity together. Because that is something that God does. That's something the gospel creates in us. But we have to be aware, church, we have to be aware that this kind of unity has many natural enemies. It has many enemies. I I was reading some statistics recently, and did you know that about one-third, one-third of all adults surveyed today say that they are almost constantly online. One-third, almost constantly online through one device they have or another. And that means that one in three people are opening themselves up to being continually bombarded with polarizing news, opinions, and hot takes on what's going on in the world that stir up and tend to divide people. It can feel like, if that's you, it can feel like the enemies of unity, even Christian unity, are very, very strong, are far too strong. Well, let me introduce you to the two main enemies allied against unity, the unity that we see in verse 2. These enemies go by the names of selfishness and pride, and we meet them in verses 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's pride. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Self-centeredness and pride will destroy any good thing and any good church. And we are not exempt, are we? Self-centeredness and pride destroys. Those who think they stand, pridefully think they stand, what are we to do? Take heed, lest we fall. In the church, selfishness, self-centeredness is self-destructive. Again and again and again. And pride comes before a fall. You've seen it. I've seen it. 
God is actually being kind. He's being gracious when he brings things to a head and puts his finger. There is pride here. There is selfishness here. These are the two real enemies of our unity. So, as a church, let's not be conceited. Let's not be prideful. Let's not be conceited thinking that we've got it all together. We're the only ones who have it all together. We're the only ones doing it right. God forbid. God has a way of humbling us if we go that way as a church. He can humble us. As a church, let's not be conceited. As individuals in the church, let's not be selfish, thinking everything has to be ordered our own way. Who made you God, right? It doesn't have to be ordered our own way. That kind of arrogance and pride will destroy unity wherever it manifests itself, not just in the church, but anywhere. But genuine humility and regard for others builds unity and trust wherever it goes and wherever it takes root. So, the big question is, how do we push down the one and build up the other? How do we squash our pride and grow our humility? Paul tells us. He tells us the answer in verse 5. The answer lies in looking to the past as well as the future and seeing Christ there. Paul calls us to look both ways and to see Jesus. Look at verses 5 through 8. Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed, this is looking to the past, he existed in the form of God, he did not regard regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Apostle Paul calls us to humility. But he doesn't leave us on our own to get there, does he? He doesn't just say, here's a rule, be humble, be humble, do it. I mean, you could see, if we had a rule to be humble, you'd know what would happen, right? We would start doing it, oh, look how humble I am, I'm keeping the rule. And what does that do? Pride, just, just grows up in us. Paul doesn't do that to us. He knows better. He doesn't just give us a rule and leave us to it. He points us to the source of humility. He points us to a historical person. He points us to Jesus. In Jesus, we have more than just a model of humility and self-sacrifice. We're not just saying be like Jesus. When we point others to Jesus, when we point our hearts to Jesus, We say in him, we have an inexhaustible spring of motivation from which we can come and continually drink. And that's a big difference, isn't it? That's a big difference. Athletes and celebrities can become role models very easily. But the motivation to be like them often runs dry. Because there's no real connection with them. You might have been touched by their generous donation to some fund to research child cancer. But not being a child with cancer yourself, you can't drink from that generosity, as it were. This is completely different when it comes to Jesus. Everything we read in verses 5 through 8, Jesus did for you. He did it for you. He did it for us. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 affirms that Jesus existed in the form of God. He was God, a very God, according to the creeds. He was co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father as the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature. But for you, the Son of God willingly laid aside his divine rights. For you, Jesus emptied himself, verse 7. And this was an emptying by adding. His deities, nothing goes away. He adds to his divinity, humanity. He takes on our flesh. For you, Jesus humbled himself to be born as a baby. 
with blurry vision, just like any infant. For you, he left heaven's riches for earthly poverty. For you, he proved himself as a servant through many trials and temptations. For you, Jesus tasted injustice. He tasted all the injustices and the worst tortures that men can inflict one upon another. For you, he became obedient to the point of death, even a criminal's death, even death on a cross. In all of this, he, our rightful king, serves you. He serves you. Therefore, in light of that, hear this charge. As Jesus serves you, so serve one another. Let him be your motivation. As your king has served you, serve the least of these among us. Serve one another. Find in Jesus the inexhaustible motivation you need to kill your own self-centeredness and self-serving nature. Alberta Baptist Church will glorify God and do great things only to the extent that we find our motivation in Christ. If it's about about making our name great, God will pound that to dust. But if we find our motivation in Jesus, God will cause it to bear fruit. And Jesus told us it would be like this, didn't he? He said, if we don't plug into him, if we don't abide in him, finding the fuel to propel us forward, then apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. We can do nothing. Church, as you look with faith, with faith at the past, make Jesus more than your model. Make him your motivation. Make him your motivation. In gratitude for how Jesus serves you, go and serve others. This afternoon, as we have a community cookout, you are there in the overflow of what Jesus has done for you, propelling you outward to others as he has sought you out, seek others out, and serve them. Let him be your motivation. This week at VBS, as one child comes after another, serve. Pour yourself out. As Jesus loved the little children, he loved you. As you were a wayward child, love others. Let him be your motivation. Make Jesus the inexhaustible fountain of motivation to which you continually go and drink this week. You'll need it during VBS week. You'll need it. Go to Jesus and drink in order to serve others and put them before yourself. Because if we find ourselves united with Christ in his past humiliation, we will also find ourselves united with him in his future glory. Look at verses 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For Jesus, the cross preceded the crown. The humiliation in the past preceded the future exaltation. Trial and temptation preceded glory and resurrection. And guess what? The same is true for us. The same is true for us. Following Jesus, we will also tread the depths. Very often, we will tread the depths of life here and now so that we might be partakers with him in his future glory. Just consider for a moment the extreme contrast we see in this passage, the extreme contrast between the gospel events that we look back at and the gospel events that we look forward to. There could be no lower point imaginable than the cross. At the cross, naked, 
humiliation meets with public shame. Physical torture meets with the agony of spiritual separation. The father turns his back on the son for the only time in all of history, and he pours out his wrath for sin. We cannot conceive a lower low than the unjust murder of God's son. There there isn't one. There cannot be one. We cannot conceive of a lower low than, than the unjust murder of Jesus, who at the same time is bearing the just and everlasting punishment for all our rebellious acts concentrated down into a finite period of time. We cannot conceive of a lower low, nor can we imagine a higher, happier, more unexpectedly good ending than Christ's future glory. Where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the glorious king over all creation. And then what does that king do? He says to his bride, come sit with me on my throne. Come sit with me on my throne. The throne of the universe is what Christ offers to us, his bride, his people. Christian, you have the best of all happy endings to look forward to. Church, if you can look both ways, past, future, If you can look both ways, grasping that the past and that the future, uh, then it should impact the way you live your life in the present, right? Because real faith looks ahead to the future exaltation of Christ and joins in with it now. We don't wait. We don't have to wait for that day. When every knee bows, we join in now. That's what the church is. Those who are swearing allegiance to King Jesus now, in this present age of of darkness, we have received grace. We've been brought into the kingdom. Right now, we bow the knee to Jesus. You don't have to wait. We don't wait. You don't have to. By faith, joyfully enthrone Jesus in your hearts right now. Now, seeking to bring all the disconnected bits of your life under his good reign. Your emotional life, bring that under the reign of King Jesus. Your work, your romantic relationships, your sense of identity, your parenting. In in all these areas and many, many more, extend the reign of Christ over your heart. Bow the knee to King Jesus. This is how you let the future reality of Christ's exaltation shape the way you live in the present. As you exalt Jesus in your life now, you'll be making the business of heaven your business here on earth. And that is a beautiful, wonderful thing, isn't it? For those of us concerned about being on the right side of history. You've heard that phrase before? Ever heard that? I want to be on the right side of history. Are you concerned about being on the right side of history? For those of us concerned about being on the right side of history, this is the ultimate defining issue. Will you come under the lordship of Christ now or not? That's the defining issue. Will your lips exalt Jesus joyfully in this life? Or with the deepest regret imaginable in the next. Being on the right side of history is ultimately about being right with the Lord of history. It's about gladly exalting Jesus now instead of realizing too late that this is what you were made for. That's tragic. So, will you own this today? In your heart, that you were made to make much of Jesus and enjoy him forever. Isn't that a happy purpose? 
You were made to make much of Jesus and enjoy him forever. This is the only mindset that leads to joy without end. This is your chief purpose in life because this is the chief thing God is doing as well. Again, verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted him. God the Father highly exalted Jesus the Son by making him the focus of all saving faith. There's no salvation in any other name but the name of the Lord Jesus. And this verse, verse 11, says that this leads to greater honor for the Father as well. As every tongue confesses the kingship of Jesus, they are doing it to the glory of of God the Father. You see that? To the glory of God the Father. God has made it where the avenue to glorify him is exclusively through exalting his son. No other way. No other way to the Father. And how do we do that? Again, another big question. How do we exalt Jesus? You exalt Jesus the highest... When you make him your highest motivation in life. You want to exalt Jesus highly? Be motivated by him in what you do. How you, how you live your daily life. We, we exalt Jesus the highest when we make him our highest motivation. Our highest motivation for serving sacrificially is Jesus. And for caring for the interests of others, Jesus. And for showing compassion and for offering forgiveness, and for extending welcome to strangers, and for working for unity, and giving cheerfully, and living on mission with your church family, when Jesus is your motivation, your highest motivation for all those things, guess what? You are enthroning Jesus in your heart. You are exalting him. You are doing the work of heaven now, here on earth. That's how you exalt Jesus in your body by enjoying him so much that he becomes the dominant passion that extends out into all the rest of your life. So, the main application this morning is this. Be found exalting Jesus. Be found exalting Jesus. But, you can probably see this already, there's another application underneath empowering that one. And it's this. Be found enjoying Jesus. Be found enjoying Jesus today. If you want to be found exalting Jesus, then you need to be found enjoying Jesus. Our hearts enthrone that which we delight. What you enjoy, your heart treasures. If you want to be found on the right side of history, exalting Jesus highly, then you need to be enjoying Jesus supremely. Do you want your heart to sing this morning? Despite all the mess that's in your past? Then look by faith even farther into the past to where Jesus stands on a hill and dies on a cross for you. And make him, make that savior your treasure, your motivation for all that you do. Do you want to rise above all the trials that are yet to come? Then set yourself to abide in Christ and in the enjoyment of all that he is through his word and through his people in the present. Do you want to be well practiced in the business of heaven? Then make it your business now to delight yourself in the Lord. When Jesus is your chief delight, the best of all happy endings lies before you. When God lavishes on you the greatest and deepest desire of your heart himself. Let's pray together. Father, as our hearts respond now to your word, I pray that every heart's response would be one of faith. Faith 
leading to joy. Faith believing that this is my king. This is my Lord. This is my Savior. And he is so good. He has sacrificed himself that I, a sinner, a rebel, might be brought into God's family. Might have a seat at the table. Might have a seat on the throne as the bride of Christ. Lord, I ask that these good things that are ours every day on our best day and on our worst day might bring us joy. Joy over our circumstances. So Lord, I pray that every heart would respond in faith for the 10,000th time, may we believe in Jesus. Or for the first time, the very first time, may someone here embrace Christ as the Lord and King of their life. Lord, may every heart respond in faith as we sing this song of response. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.